Greetings to you. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast of long-form, intimate profiles of female athletes, breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Well, here it is, the eve of New Year. I'm so happy to be here and posting another episode on this day that feels wonderful and momentous and a bit crazy all at once. Today's guest, open water swimmer Catherine Breed, seems a perfect person to bring in the new year with us. Her message is, you can do it. Your body is so much stronger than you know. Your mind is so much stronger than you know. And she means all of us, not just elite athletes, record breakers like herself. So grab onto some big, big plans in 2021 and get to work. I'm not gonna give any more away, so time to get to it. Today on the show, I'm lucky to have here endurance swimmer, Catherine Breed. Catherine raced very successfully for both UC Berkeley and the US national team. Then after graduating, she joined the Dolphin Club and Open Water Swim Club in San Francisco. At the Dolphin Club, she found a strong sense of community and her post-collegiate swimming niche. She loves the cold water and long distances. On September 21st this year, she completed the 25 mile swim across Monterey Bay, which she did in 12 hours and 42 minutes, setting a new record. She is only the sixth person, five of which were women, to make the swim, so she joins an historic group of female athletes. Her first ultramarathon swim was crossing Lake Tahoe in 2017, where she beat both the men's and women's records. And just a few months ago in October, she was part of a record-breaking relay team in the Uberman Triathlon, a 21-mile swim, 400-mile bike, 135-mile run. Catherine is passionate about swimming and about making it accessible to all people. The water is a calming place for her and a safe haven. She believes everyone deserves that opportunity, regardless of race, gender, or socioeconomic status. We will talk about lots of that. So welcome, Catherine. I'm really thrilled that you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. You know, I want to start with just talking about endurance swimming and have you answer some of the most obvious questions about open water swimming. Like, it's cold, it's dark, it's the ocean, it's long. You know, can you describe what that's like? Yeah, I mean, I get so many questions about how do you manage those things, the cold, the dark, night, you know, all of that. And I think for me, it's a lot of mental training so that those factors aren't scary to me, but they're rather, they're kind of comforting. You know, swimming at night is a very comfortable place for me to be. It's very meditative. My body loves the cold. <laughs> it doesn't like cold air, but cold water, my body really craves it. So I've trained myself that these things are kind of like my happy place. So when I go into a swim, my fear factors are the sharks, uh, which I can't control. <laughs> and am I going to finish this? Am I tough enough to finish it? So it's kind of controlling the controllables. What do you mean that your body likes cold water? I got into open water swimming in 2016-17 and I very quickly realized that I could go long distances in sub 60, sub 55 degree water and be fine. Like wow. I I wouldn't get I wouldn't shiver. I it was comfortable. It's kind of funny, but I haven't been swimming that much recently and I got into the bay and it's about 53 degrees. And I felt like as soon as I got in, even though I wasn't really acclimated, it was like my internal core just started working like over time. It's like this furnace and it just 
I felt comfortable. I felt happy in it. So, you know, I don't necessarily always love the cold, but my body does really well with it. It's able to, you know, use thermogenesis and warm itself up pretty efficiently. That's so interesting that people are so mm-hmm. different. Like I can't imagine doing that, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I swam the other day when I swam, you know, I only did 30 minutes and I was like, oh, well, that felt nice. And I was like, how the heck did I do 11 hours in 51 to 52 degree water last year? <laughs> I, I swam the North Sea. So it definitely, you've got to build up to it for sure. Right. And you also mentioned mental training. What kind of mental training are you doing? I don't do anything formal. Uh, I know a lot of swimmers will do like meditation or maybe have like a life coach or a coach they work with. For me, I got that mental training when I was a swimmer at Cal. We had a life coach that was part of our team. And I, you know, I've done a lot of therapy in my years. So I think for me, my mental training right now, if I could sum it up into like one sentence, it's that I don't negotiate with myself. And what that means is when I say I'm going to do something, I, I do it. And I make sure that my training for the day or training for the week is something that's realistic and is going to give me the right brain training, the right level of grit, the right toughness that I need to get through it. And then because I am by myself, I don't have a coach. I don't always have people to swim with. That's where the mental training comes in of I set this goal for the week this is my training plan, I'm going to do it. So that's one thing is I don't negotiate with myself. Another form of mental training I do, which is kind of valuable for any marathon athlete, is I do this thing where I will reset myself every two hours or every four hours. And I kind of have trained myself to completely block out what I've already done. So I view it as, okay, now you're getting in for a two hour swim, not oh, I've been swimming for four hours, I'm tired. So I, I do lots of resets throughout my swim where I'm just two hour chunks, four hour chunks. And then the third thing I do is I never get excited to finish a training swim. So if I start getting excited that I'm done with a training swim, I'll purposely stay in a few extra minutes longer. Because in marathon swimming, you know, you can set a goal for when you want to finish, but the tides could change or the wind could pick up or your boat might have to stop. And I I don't ever want to see shore and get so excited that I'm almost done and then have things go sideways. So those are kind of the three things that I do. Those are cool. So you said you don't have a coach. How did you learn to coach yourself and what principles, I guess, are you using and how are you creating your plan? Yeah. You know, having all my swimming background, I've got years and years of knowledge of swimming. And at Cal, something our coach Terry McKeever would do is she would give everyone in the pool the same scaffold of a set. And if you're a sprinter, you might only do the short pieces fast, but the distance swimmers might do 90% of this set at their mile pace or their 500 pace. So there was a lot of accountability that we had to have. And I think that's helped me with my training. I have mentors in the swimming community and I can ask them advice, but in terms of training, I do things pretty differently than other marathon swimmers and I focus on more speed. So marathon swimmers typical training is they'll get in the water and swim for say 5 hours. 
not really caring how far they swim. Just, I need to get a five-hour training session in. I know that I can do about 12 miles in five hours if I'm really pushing it. So when I get in the water, my goal is a distance goal, and I want to hit that distance as fast as I can. So I try to get out of the water on my big training days feeling how I would feel at the end of a 12, 13-hour swim. I do a lot of cross-training. I love trail running, lifting, skiing's my my second love. I surf a lot. So I think for me, it's just things that make me happy and are working out my heart, working out my muscles. And then when it is time to get in the water, it's very intentional about how I want it to feel. When you were talking about your longer swims, did you mean that, for example, if you're doing a five-hour swim, you want to go at a pace that will make it feel as hard as your 12-hour you know, channel crossings. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So that means for five hours, I'll be pushing harder than I would for a 12-hour swim. Sure. That's so interesting. And are you using yeah. heart rate or just going by body feel? Just body feel. In the pool, I can check heart rate a little bit easier because I can stop on the walls. The pool is a constant. In open water, I have to go off of feel because you've got tides and currents. So I could be swimming with the tide and going 50 seconds per hundred just because the current's moving me that way. And then I could go the other way and I'm going three minutes per hundred, but I'm still trying the same amount. So it's definitely a body feel. And now that I've done it for a few years, I've really dialed that in. But that that definitely took some time to get to realize. Right. I bet you've swum enough hours to know about all that. (laughs) Yeah. So you sort of mentioned that open water swimming has a lot of variables. What can you plan and what do you have to leave open to these variables so you don't make yourself crazy when you don't get to the place that you sort of had planned to get to? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I, right now in my life, I still do have some speed. I am younger. I do have the opportunity to go after records when I get in the water. And that puts a lot of pressure on me of, okay, I'm looking at this swim and I know I can get the record if conditions are perfect, but they're not always perfect. So things I train to control are making sure that I'm okay with the cold. So when I did the North Channel last year, it's like I said, 51 to 52 degrees. I did a ton of cold water training so that I could take that factor out of the equation that I knew I wasn't going to get cold. And then another thing you have to deal with is wind. So white caps, turbulence, huge swells coming each way. Luckily, I live in San Francisco, so the bay can get really messy sometimes and I'll go out on those days and just get comfortable with the messiness of it so that when I'm doing a swim like Monterey or like Catalina or English Channel and the winds pick up, I know I can manage that. So I'd say those are the things that I really have control over. I have control over my feeding schedule, making sure I'm getting the right nutrition in. Things I don't have control over are, you know, if there's jellyfish in the water. Um, I I don't have control over the tides and the currents and the wind, but I can manage that. The jellyfish, I can just manage mentally, you know, dealing with other wildlife that you have to manage as it comes. But 
yeah, I, I don't know. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, it did. What kind of wildlife are you seeing out there? Um, I mean, there's seals and sea lions. Those don't usually bug me too much. They can get curious. I one time had a baby harbor seal playing, swimming all around me, bumping into me for about 45 minutes. And that was adorable. That's funny, yeah. Yeah, but then you get the great white sharks. <laughs> I luckily have only had one run-in with a great white. Without a doubt, they've been around me more than I have seen them. So yeah, we had a about a seven-foot juvenile great white come up to my paddler and I during a training session. And he was just curious, you know, just wanted to know what was going on. But with the juveniles, uh, they, you know, sometimes they get curious and they want to bite. So that makes me nervous, but it's a risk I take, you know, right. it's, we all have risks in our life and that's just one that I'm going to have to be okay with if I'm going to keep doing this sport. <laughs> Do you like running into wildlife? I mean, forget about the sharks for a moment, but sure. I mean, is it fun or sure, does it yeah, seem absolutely. weird? No, it's cool. You know, it's funny because on my swims, I don't really see the wildlife because I've got earplugs in, goggles on, my cap. Like, I'm just focused on my swimming. But my crew members will be like, there was a sea lion two feet behind you. And he made this growling sound. And I'm like, cool. I had no idea. <laughs> or in Monterey, there was a huge pod of whales. And my crew got to watch them and take pictures. And so for me, it's more... I get happy that my crew gets to see and experience that. I can feel, I can sense when things are around me, but I don't always get to see them. But yeah, I mean, swimming with a pod of whales pretty close to you. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Back to the whale in Monterey. I think I yeah. was in the article, there was poo. <laughs> Talk yes. about that. Like, how did you know it was yes. poo for one? Well, it is, um, it was a large brown. <laughs> That's a clue. Uh, on the surface. Yep. Yep. Just like, it's kind of like foamy brown water. And everyone was pointing and they're like, That's whale poo. Swim around it. And I was like, I am not swimming one yard further than I need to. So I just kind of like kept my mouth as closed as I could and just swam right through it because I did not care at hour 12 that I was swimming through whale poo. Right. <laughs> it was like, give me the finish. I don't care about the whale poo. But That's that is funny. funny that it's become, it, it is kind of a joke on my family now. Well, it's a pretty good joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned having the earplugs and being super focused. You know, what's going on in your brain for those 12 hours? And yeah. what's that self-isolation like? You know, are you looking at the scenery? What's the water like? What Like, what's happening in internally? Uh, I think I'll answer the what's going through my head first. So what's going through my head is, disappointingly, almost nothing. <laughs> I go very blank. And, you know, I'll think about when my next feed is. I eat food every 30 minutes. So I'll kind of think about, okay, just get to the next feed. I'll check in with body parts that are feeling good or bad or check in with what's my effort, how far have I gone. So it's all very like analytical about the swim. There's not, you know, I'm not singing songs in my head. Occasionally, I'll try to go through like lists of random things like name countries A through Z or whatever. But 
I'll find that the harder the swim, the less I'm able to actually focus on that. And what I say is you get so many energy units per day per activity, and your brain takes a lot of those energy units. So I need to conserve all that energy I have to be used in my body, keeping me warm for my muscles to work, to my shoulders to stay loose and comfortable. And I can't use any of that energy in my mind trying to think about other things. So I know people always like want to know if I thought about anything cool. I'm like, no, it's kind of this really special place where I'm completely 100% present in what I'm doing. And for me, that's really special. You know, in Monterey, it was so dark. We couldn't see, there was fog and it was middle of the night and I couldn't see the difference between the ocean and the sky. So to me, I was looking into a black void and my hands were swimming through bioluminescence. So it was very much that my senses were all taken away. But I could feel the energy of the ocean, which, you know, if you go out in the ocean in the middle of the night and just close your eyes, you'll feel how alive it is. And when I was swimming over the canyons, there's canyons in Monterey that are at the bottom of the ocean, or the Monterey Bay, they go down a mile or more further down. So it's this huge, huge, huge upwelling of water. And because I'm so present in the moment, because my other senses are gone, I can feel that. I can feel the power of all of this water moving around me. And it feels heavy. You know, when I'm swimming in the bay, I can feel what the current's doing. Even if I didn't look at the tide charts beforehand, I can tell how fast it is, what direction it's going. And that's just because I've spent so much time being present in the ocean. So I don't know. It's a very cathartic place to be. It's, it's comfortable now, but it is a weird place to be. Because nowadays, I don't think a lot of people find moments where they are totally present in what they're doing. So to me, it's, it's special. That's what I like about endurance sports is yes. it does take away everything else because you have a job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Have you always been a water person like this awareness of the tides and the movement of the water and the weight of the water? I mean, is that just from swimming or have you always been around water? I've always been around water. I was very, very fortunate in my childhood that sailing was a huge part of my childhood. So I think I was, I was born in Meadow Vista, California. It's like on the way to Tahoe. And I guess we had a lake near our house, a, a little lake. So as a kid, you know, I was sitting in that lake and my mom told me that at 18 months I was jumping off the diving board. So water's always been in my blood. It's always been comfortable to me. And then when we got our sailboat, we spent a lot of time in the Pacific Ocean. So like sailing down to Mexico, or we had our boat in French Polynesia for two years and New Zealand. So as a kid, my sister and I, our playtime was taking the little two stroke dinghy and exploring, <laughs> you know, with our parents saying, be back in a few hours. So we really got to own our own experience in the ocean. And I think as a kid, like, that's so cool. You know, and then in college, obviously wasn't sailing as much because I was just swimming, but I took up surfing and surfing's a whole different way to experience the ocean and read mother nature and, you know, kind of work with her, but fight against it to paddle out. So yeah, long story short, I've always been a water person and I'm grateful for that. And what happens over the course of the 12 hours? You know, like, are you noticing yourself getting 
more and more tired? Are you focused on that? Like, I know you said that you're not thinking of that much, but there is still something that's happening that's different in hour one and hour 12. So like, how are you experiencing that? Yeah, I break my swims up into, I say, get to the first four hours. So just smooth, strong. I don't talk to my crew. My feeds are about 10 seconds. I get to four hours. It's quick, you know, not that, not speed wise, but I'm just like, just get to four hours. It's quick. You can do it. So I get to four hours and then I'll kind of have a, a brain break and I'll check with my crew, see what's going on, how I'm doing, how they're doing. And then we keep going. And usually my swims are done in the dark. So I'd say from hours like four to maybe hour eight, like those are the roughest hours because for Monterey, I'll just talk about Monterey. It was still dark. <laughs> like the sun was not coming up. I was like, it's 5 a.m. It's 5.30. It's six o'clock. I want to see the sun. So those hours were really, really tough for me to get through. I started feeling cold because like I mentioned, there's those canyons and the water temperature dropped from 58 degrees to 54. So hours one through four felt great. Those middle four, I started feeling cold. I was mentally just in a tough spot. You know, at about six hours in of swimming, that's when your hip flexors start to cramp. That's when, you know, my hands kind of claw up a little bit. Things just don't feel as good, obviously, because you're doing something for a long time. And then on these swims, the sun will come up. And that's a reprieve. That's just, oh, oh my gosh. Okay, we made it to daybreak. And that hour will feel pretty good. And then it's the last hour or two or three where you can see land but I'm still hours away from it, from finishing. And on Monterey, my shoulders started giving me some really bad issues, which I've never had on a swim before. I think part of it might've been due to the jellyfish stings and having all those toxins, but my shoulder was really hurting. Uh, my back was sore. So the last three hours is about pushing. It's about turning off that I'm hurting, that I'm in pain and just letting my muscles do what they know how to do. So keep kicking, even though my hip flexors are cramped. My quads still work, my hamstrings, my glutes, those all still work. Let those take over. My shoulder hurts. Okay, let's kind of adjust the stroke, but also let's just deal with the pain, swim through it, you'll be done. So that's kind of how I manage it is just get through hour four and then just get, get through the middle four hours and then kind of descend or try to pick it up. Usually the last two hours or last hour, I will give every ounce that I have. And that's actually ended up being me swimming some of my fastest splits at the end of one of these swims because I dig into a deeper place. I'm sure any marathon or endurance athletes know that place. Yeah. You make it sound almost doable dividing it up into four hours. <laughs> yeah, it's it is you know it is doable. Anything in this world is doable for anyone that wants to do it. You just got to train. Actually, that was a question that I wanted to ask you because I've noticed on Instagram that people ask you questions on your Instagram and you answer them on Instagram stories. And a question that often comes up is how can you swim for so long? And your answer is always a very simple like you practice. Mm -hmm. Maybe talk a little bit more about that. Like, how much do you think that you're successful at this because, you know, you have water awareness and genetically you're good at 
cold or whatever is the reason for that? And how much is simply because you go out and you swim for a long time? Sure. You know, I think maybe I have a gift of genetically, I do well in the cold, or maybe I, I did grow up with water awareness. So maybe those things are what help me do these things fast and well, and that I can maybe break records. However, anyone can swim that long. I'm not saying you have to break a record, but if you want to go do the English channel, it's about training and endurance sports are mental. So, you know, for a lot of people, they look at it, no way could I swim that far. And I'm like, physically, you absolutely can. If you train your body, you can physically swim that far, you know, barring injuries or other things, you know, we'll just say the average person, you can train your body to swim that far. Now, where the hard part is, is mental. Not very many people have the mental grit to do ultra marathon events or distances or even the desire to. So I say if you have the grit or if you want to build up mental toughness, if you want to work on that just as much as you want to work on your physical preparation and swimming and training, then you'll be successful. But I think a lot of people just look at it as, you know, it's a big scary thing and there's no way I could do it. My my simple answer is the human body is absolutely incredible and can do so much more than we even realize. You know, it's our mind that holds us back. My impression from reading articles about the Monterey swim is that you discovered endurance swimming at the Dolphin Club. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody shows up, and again, referencing my previous question, somebody shows up and says, you know, I want to do endurance swimming. How does that process start? Like they join the Dolphin Club and like, then what? Yeah. So the Dolphin Club is just simply an open water swimming and rowing club in Aquatic Park, San Francisco. So anyone can join and you can swim for five minutes. You could never swim or you could sign up to do the club swims, which can range from one mile to six miles. So that's what I did. I joined the Dolphin Club just because I was like, this is kind of a cool way to be in the water and I don't have to get in a pool again. I participated in the club swims and people started telling me, hey, you're pretty good at this. You should, you know, set bigger goals for yourself. And my response was, there is no way I can swim for 21 miles. That is absolutely insane. Absolutely not. <laughs> and I was adamant about, I can't do this. How long did you say that? Um, I think I said it until one of my mentors was like, Catherine, you're doing this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, peer pressure. And then from there, I trained out of a place of fear. And that was for Tahoe. I trained out of a place of fear of, I don't think I can finish this. So I trained so hard and I finished it. I was like, oh, I, I can do this. So that's just my example of if someone wants to swim the English Channel, Find a community that if you're in the Bay Area, it could be the Dolphin Club. There are communities all over the world. You find a community. You find people that want to support you with your goals. And there are lots of people out there who are absolutely willing to help. And you be intentional about it. Be intentional about the mental training and the physical training. But I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think it's an impossible thing for the average person to do. I think you just have to set the goal and, and, and do the proper preparation. Cool. 
but I don't know, maybe I'm being too nonchalant about it. <laughs> well, but you know, it's always like, it takes a few years, right? Like you've got to start with doing a 5k, you've got to do a 10k, you've got to build yourself up, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to jump in and then tomorrow I can do the English channel. Like it takes a couple years. I have a friend who didn't know how to swim and didn't know how to swim. Like, I'm not saying she hadn't been in open water. She didn't know how to swim. Two or three years later, she did the English channel wow. because she's that mentally tough. So that's why I say, you know, anyone can do it. I'm really glad that you mentioned that, you know, you're not going to decide to swim the English channel and then tomorrow you're going to do it, that there is yes. this sort of yes, progression that. that happens. <laughs> I think sometimes yes. people forget that, you know, they, yeah, because, you know, once you're successful, sometimes you forget like, oh, wow, that was really a lot of work because you've already mm -hmm. become successful. So thank you for mentioning yes. that. Yes. Yeah. So what are your weeks like? And by that, I mean, do you have a job? What kind of training? How do you structure your training? You know, two trainings a day, one, like all that stuff. Yep. So I will tell you a normal training week before a swim during non-COVID times, because <laughs> um, that's probably the more standard training that I would do. So before the North Channel, which was last year, I was swimming in the bay Monday through Friday in the pool Tuesday Thursday afternoon and lifting before practice Tuesday Thursday and then weekends would be anywhere from a two-hour swim to an eight-hour swim and that could either be two four hours or a three and a five or just a two-hour Usually my weeks stay the same. Uh, I have a full-time job. I'm in medical device sales. I manage Northern California, Nevada. So I, I work. So the week's got to be, you know, I've got to be able to work during the week. And then the weekends is where I start to build up. So like someone training for a marathon run, you know, your weeks get longer and longer and longer. For me, the weekends is how I make those weeks longer. Before Monterey, I built from about 25,000 yards a week to about 55,000 yards a week. So wow. that's like building up to 30 miles. And it was all bay swimming because pools are closed right now. I got into cycling and did some trail running because gyms are closed. I didn't have that strength training. I think that's also why my shoulders started hurting. But that's, that's kind of how I break it up. Probably 12 to 16 hours of training a week. How are you managing the pandemic? And, you know, you mentioned the gyms are closed and pools are closed, but also, you know, you have a community that's really important to you. So, you know, like all of that stuff, you know, what changes have impacted you the most, maybe? I feel so, so fortunate during this pandemic that my friends and my activities and my mental health is found in the outdoors. And by that, I mean, the ocean never closed. So if I need to swim, I can get in the ocean. If I want to catch up with my friends, we can't do it in restaurants. We can't go to each other's house, but we can go on a bike ride or we can go on a trail run or a hike. You know, I, I kind of already do life that way. I'm not a big like social drinker or going to restaurants or whatnot. Usually everything I do with my friends is outdoors. So I feel very lucky in that that didn't really change. You know, it just became we bring a mask outside. So, you know, I, I, I do feel lucky in that way, but 
COVID's just, it's been tough and then I can't go to my gym, you know, and I'm still paying for a membership. But if that is the biggest thing that I'm dealing with during COVID, I will gladly take that because I know a lot of people are really struggling mentally, physically, financially during this time. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about fueling. You've talked about on these long swims, you're taking in food every 30 minutes. Yeah. So every 30 minutes, I have something that is very quick to eat. And I will have that attached to a water bottle. My crew will throw me the water bottle. And the goal is that they throw it kind of right in front of my face so that I swim into it and can as fast as possible take down my nutrition. I used to, and on my training swims, I would use honey stinger gel. I just think it's like a pretty quick acting healthy way to get carbs in. And then recently this year, I've switched to infinite and it's like a carb mix. I'll pour infinite into water bottle and just have that. And the infinite mix has, I think it's like per hour, I'm getting about 270 calories, 56 carbs, uh, maybe like four grams of protein, some caffeine, amino acids. So it's a custom made blend for what I need. But mm. but that's that's about it. Yeah. So I say, you know, a little bit of protein, you definitely need your caffeine because you've got to fight the melatonin that's building up throughout the night. And then quick carbs. Food is important on long cold swims because it also keeps you warm. Sure. So warm water and your body starting to digest that builds some heat. Are you having trouble eating this or, you know, once the bottle is there, you're like, whoa, yay. No, no, it's easy. Yeah. Once the, once the bottle comes, I just chug it down as quick as I can. That's great. Um, and then kind of keep going. And the infinite works great. Towards the end, I asked them to double my dose. So I was actually getting like 400 calories an hour, but you know, I think that makes sense. You're, you're tired. You're coming towards the end of burning 7,000 calories. <laughs> A little extra food is needed. And what about off, you know, off training your normal meals? Are you having to sort of make up for calories because you're not able to get everything that you need on the long swims or your other training? Um, I think I eat, you know, I definitely will have like delayed onset of hunger after a long training swim. The following two days I eat like I've never seen food before, but I would say I I eat pretty normal. You know, I I struggle with a really bad sweet tooth, (laughs) but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner with some snacks in there. So I don't, I don't go too crazy with my nutrition because with cold water swimming, you've got to keep some body fat on you. (laughs) Right. So I definitely eat all the carbs. (laughs) Right. Good. What about goals? Like, what are your goals coming up? What are you training for? What do you want to accomplish? Yeah, I, so I have some that I'm going to keep a little bit quiet right now because they are kind of their first attempts, but I, my goal with open water swimming is, this is going to be a lofty claim and I don't mean it to sound like cocky or anything, but I just want to be one of the best all around open water swimmers in the world. And that's going to take me a lifetime to do that because there's incredible men and women out there. But I want to say that I can do an ice mile. I can swim 100 miles in warm water. I can break records doing channels. Uh, I want to try doing firsts so that other people can, you know, come after me. And hopefully young girls can see me doing these firsts and be inspired to want to try it. 
so that's kind of my goals with my swimming. I also want to continue using my swimming as a platform for diversity in aquatics, getting more people in the water, using it as a platform for mental health awareness and female empowerment. I, I, you know, that's kind of where I see it all going right now. That is not where I intended it to go when I started this sport, but it's naturally and organically taken that route and I'm really loving it. I will say for goals, I'll tell you a couple. I'd like to do an ice mile this year. What is an ice mile? I can imagine. But. Yeah, it's, it's literally one mile as fast as you can in water that is sub, I think it's sub 40 degrees. Wow. Yeah, it's really cold. So I'd like to do one of those. Uh, I've done one at 42 degrees. It wasn't official, but I just, I did it on my own and it was fine. I mean, it was fine. Like I did get very hypothermic, but I w- I'm still alive. I'm fine. Right. <laughs> Um, and then I'd like to do the Farallon Islands swim. So Farallon's 30 miles to the Golden Gate Bridge. And just because that's in my backyard, and I think that'd be really special to do. Cool. So those yeah. are kind of the two that I'm looking at. But yeah, I, I'm really excited for some of the goals I've written down. You know, yep. they're they're five years away. It's exciting. When we were first organizing, and you sort of intimated this in your previous answer, but when we were first organizing a recording session, you wrote, I feel like over the past few months, women have been dominating the scene. And it's been so amazing to see that. Tell me more about yeah. you know, your relationship to the history of women who have gone before you and the young girls that you're looking to have come after you. Yeah, I think, you know, Women are starting to get more attention, right? And I, I'm loving seeing that, whether it's Sarah Fuller being a kicker on the football team or Emily Harrington being the first woman to climb up El Cap and, or break the record. You know, really incredible things are being done by women. And or Courtney DeWalter, you know, attempting the Colorado Trail. But for me, marathon swimming is a sport that this might be controversial to say, but I think it is dominated by women. Women excel at marathon swimming. I could say maybe it's partly because we carry more body fat. Maybe we're tougher. Maybe there's just more of us trying it. I don't know. But it's really cool that I, for Monterey, the two women that were my crew had already done Monterey swim. And there was only five of us that have done it. And I had two of them on my boat as my mentors, as my, you know, just little beacons of light getting me through the darkness of that swim. So I very much value the women who have done more swims, the women who are older than me and have have more experience or have been in the sport longer. I just, I think they're incredible. And then in terms of inspiring young girls, I just want to show that this is a sport that people can do. You know, there's a lot of people out there who love swimming, but don't love the pool. And I just want to show there's other ways that you can enjoy swimming and make it your own. I also want to show young girls that you can be really tough and that you're capable of so much more than you realize. You know, I had a mom reach out to me and her daughter was doing something. I I forget exactly what it was. And she said, I'm going to be tough like Catherine, you know, and I've never met this girl or the mom, but she just DM'd me on Instagram and told me that little story. And I was like, that's what I want. You know, I want someone to get in the water for the first time and be like, if she could swim across Monterey Bay, I can swim to this buoy. Stories like that are what keep me going. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
You mentioned working towards greater diversity in water sports. What are you working on specifically? Right now, I'm focusing very much on my community, which is the Dolphin Club, and working on making our club more accountable to its actions, more welcoming, and just kind of combating some of the the, the lack of diversity in aquatic sports. Right now, you know, I've got, like I said, I've got a full-time job. I train. After Monterey, I found myself getting very emotionally exhausted from doing a little bit too much. So I'm like, I'm going to scale back and focus on my community and build it out from there. I would come spring and summer, like to start doing some clinics on the weekends in different areas around the bay and have it be on like a sliding scale or do ones that are free, just so anyone that wants to try getting in the water can do it. So those are kind of some of the things that I'm working on and just continuing to educate myself and, you know, educate my followers on Instagram so we can all learn together. That's great. And grow together. That's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thanks so much. This has been really terrific. Thank you. You had a really nice way of describing sort of some of the things that people who don't do the sport wouldn't know. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Well, that's it. I hope you like that dose of inspiration to get us all going for a great new year. Join us in 2021 in taking on a big goal, expanding your body and your mind. Let me know what you're up to. I can't wait to hear more. As always, find links to things we talked about in the episode in the show notes at hearhersports.com. And support the podcast by buying books using our bookshop page. It's hearhersports.com books. Stay up to date on upcoming episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While 44% of athletes are women, only 4% of the media coverage is about women. Hear Her Sports aims to shift the scale while inspiring women to be their best. Wear a mask. Happy New Year. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.